This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Kenneth Couquier, senior editor and the host of Babbage. On today's show, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the legal battle between Apple and the FBI over access to data from the San Bernardino gunman's iPhone. With me here today to discuss these topics are Edward Lucas, senior editor, and Tom Standage, our deputy editor at The Economist. This week, the FBI postponed a court hearing with Apple because they say they found another way into the phone. Now, Edward, they can't simply brute force their way in. What's going on? The problem with the way this particular iPhone is set up is that if you try and guess the PIN number and you do it too many times, then the entire phone is wiped and you lose all the data and you can't get it back again. And so what the FBI has been asking Apple to do is to write a special bit of code disguised as an update and signed as an update, which they could then upload onto the phone and therefore disable this particular security feature. And that's what Apple's been refusing to do. It now turns out they don't need to do it. If they really have found a new way in, then that's new. Wasn't it supposed to be impossible to get into the phone? Yes, the idea was that only Apple could break into this phone, and the FBI was asking Apple to make a special piece of software, a sort of skeleton key, they could use to crack the passcode on this phone and unlock it and you know, get at the data of its user. A lot of people looked at this and thought, well, surely the FBI has a few tricks up its sleeve. Surely it doesn't really need to ask Apple, and you know, surely it's really just trying to set a precedent that it can boss tech firms around when it wants to break into people's gadgets. And so it's not entirely surprising that someone else has, has popped up and said, actually, we think we could do this for you. And it's not also that surprising that that being the case, that the FBI has sort of rolled over. I think it's been a bit surprised at how much opposition there was to this. It thought that asking to break into the phone of a terrorist was something that no one could possibly object to, but actually a lot of people have. So how does the technology work? There are various ways this could be accomplished, but we know that the FBI has asked for two weeks to do it, and they'll come back in two weeks if this hasn't worked. So that tells us right away that this isn't a destructive method of getting into the phone's data. And there are various destructive things you could do, but we can, you know, with lasers and acid and, you know, taking the tops off chips and things like that. It's not one of those, because if it doesn't work, they're going to come back and ask Apple again. We also know that the people offering to do this must be quite a big security firm because the FBI has had the method classified. And you can only do that if the people offering it to you have security clearances. So it seems that it's an Israeli company called Celebrite. And there were hints that it might have been a foreign company that was offering to do this just from the timing of the request to postpone the hearing. It looked as though it was a request that was you know, happening in the middle of the night in the US. So the idea that it's an Israeli company as an Israeli newspaper and Reuters are now reporting is entirely plausible. So 
we knew those two things, and that suggests that it's one of two approaches. One is called a NAND exploit, and this is where you manipulate the NAND chip, which is the flash memory in the phone, to get it to give up its secrets. Or it could be a zero-day exploit, and this is a sort of previously unknown security flaw that not even Apple knows about, but this third party does know about, and they can use that to gain access. So it's very likely to be one of those two things. Edward, you've been following this issue for a long time. What does it mean that the security on the iPhones that we thought was quasi-impenetrable has this vulnerability in it? Well, all we really know is that there's a vulnerability in this particular rather old-fashioned iPhone where the user, the now-dead terrorist, hadn't adopted the strongest sort of security precautions he could have done. He had a a weak four-digit pin code to get into it, whereas he could have had a long alphanumeric password. In this specific case, an old iPhone badly protected can be got into by some means that Apple doesn't need to do itself. And that's quite interesting. Apple will be presumably very curious about what this is and would like to be able to update all their modern phones if it's something that applies to that, because, of course, one of the big issues in this is Apple's attempt to bolster its brand and to say we are you know, our, our phones are, are super secure. And, of course, the modern ones are much more secure than this. I think it's also interesting to speculate why the FBI didn't ask the NSA to do it, because presumably anything that an Israeli company can do in the private sector, the multi-multi-billion dollar NSA and its friends at GCHQ in Britain and Cheltenham should also be able to do, and perhaps more effectively and more quickly. So there's a bit of a puzzle about why the FBI didn't go to the rest of the American government first rather than going to a commercial supply in, in Israel. Presumably it is because the FBI is endowed under the executive order to make these requests and actually to be the lead agency for these sorts of judicial proceedings to get access to the data, but the NSA is operating in the background. Well, I think that both sides in this case have been grandstanding to some extent. The FBI thought this was a great chance to show that they could boss tech companies around who's going to be defending the privacy rights of a dead terrorist, particularly when the iPhone didn't even belong to the terrorist, it belonged to his employer. So it was a good chance for them to try and put the tech companies on the back foot. I think they were actually surprised by the opposition, the way in which Apple and all the other tech companies pushed back. And it was a good chance for Apple to say, no, no, we stand for the integrity of our software and the privacy of our our, our users. And there was a bit of a downside, I think, in the end the FBI that they were invoking something called the All Writs Act, which is a very ancient bit of American legal architecture, which gives courts the ability to enforce their own orders. And if they'd lost this case, then it might have actually done them quite a lot of damage in their efforts to get other tech companies to do other things to help in other cases. So do you think that this might be a bit of a smokescreen? They say they don't actually need what they wanted from Apple so as to prevent the chance of losing in the courts. Yes. I mean, I, I think both sides were grandstanding. If the FBI had really just wanted the data and not wanted to make a fuss, I think they could have perhaps asked Apple nicely and maybe Apple would have just helped very quietly and said, we can do this for you. They could have asked the NSA to do it. The NSA could have asked GCHQ to do it if there was any legal problem about NSA breaking into an American-owned cell phone. I think that would actually be been trivial. Both sides wanted to make a bit of a fuss in this, but actually the technological solution has come slightly out of left field with the Israelis apparently being able to help and have, to some extent, I think, got the FBI off a hook of their own making. Yes, I think this is very convenient uh, for the FBI because 
The danger was it wanted to set the precedent that it could boss people around under this piece of legislation from 1789, the All Writs Act. And had it lost, you know, that would have set a precedent in the other direction that it, it didn't want to. But I don't think this fight is over by any means. This is simply going to kick the can down the road and the FBI is going to look for another case where it can come back. The uh, advantage it has now is it knows exactly what legal arguments Apple is going to deploy in future cases. It knows that it's going to argue that code is speech under the First Amendment and all this sort of thing. So they've got a sort of a preview of the playbook. This is definitely not the end of this argument. We're going to be hearing more about uh, these sorts of things in the future. Let me question you both in the presumptions that you're bringing to this debate. Throughout our conversation, you've taken as granted that this is simply just the theatrics of politics in which an all-data-hungry FBI wants this simply to expand its remit and, and Apple is trying to brand itself as the protector of consumer data. Is there an, an argument based on integrity in the other direction, which the FBI deserves the benefit of the doubt that this could have valuable information and that tech companies should be honorable citizens in providing this access on grounds of national security? Well, I think there are two separate questions here. One is, why does Apple not want to help? And I think there, they're on quite weak ground. I think that if there was data on the phone, if they do have a way of getting into it, they weren't being asked to share the skeleton key that they would have to create with the FBI. They could have done this very quietly, destroyed whatever code they'd written afterwards, maybe done it in a way that no one person actually knew how it was done. And they could have said, and you know, here's the data on the phone. And I think from a sort of corporate citizenship point of view, that's quite a hard question to ask them. Why didn't you want to do that? But it's still quite a hard question for the FBI, why are you making such a fuss about what doesn't look like a very important part of the investigation? This was not the main communications device that the terrorist was using. There were others that he threw away and haven't been recovered. So it looks like quite a long shot from the FBI's point of view, but an extremely useful principle if they could establish it. I think the question for Apple now, and you know, this is something we've asked in our leader on the subject, but other people are asking Apple the same question is, do they think that there is an absolute right to strong crypto on everything? Or do they think there are some exceptions? And if so, where would they draw that line? And rather than just saying, well, we're not going to draw it here, the ball is to some extent in their court. To what extent ought they to cooperate? And I think you can make a reasonable case that the FBI in this particular case is asking them to do an unreasonable amount. I, I would be uh, slightly less optimistic than Edward, I think, that if you made a skeleton key like this, you could completely destroy it and ensure that it didn't get stolen and didn't fall into the wrong hands. That that does that does worry me. So I think Apple can definitely say, look, this looks like overreach. But if they're going to say that, they need to say what they regard as not being overreach. I think that's something that uh, they're going to have to clarify. They've called for a, a sort of commission to have all of this discussion in public. But again, that's one of the reasons why this argument is not going away. And this is definitely not the end of the story. And indeed, in Apple's own filings, they've pointed out that the government, other parts of the government have petitioned for this very skeleton key that has yet to be created but is under judicial review at the courts, whether it has to be created or not, for other cases. So the idea that it's going to only apply to one is a complete fiction. Well, there's a lot of parts of government that love the idea of skeleton keys and the record of government in looking after these skeleton keys is extremely poor, as we saw from the Department of Homeland Security, which created a special standard for locks for suitcases so that in airport security, you'd be able to open any suitcase in a non-destructive way and check whether it had a bomb in it. 
And they rather idiotically allowed the Washington Post to do a story on this, which included some high-resolution photos of the skeleton keys, which would open these locks, which could then, from these photos, you could then download some easily available software and print these keys in plastic on a 3D printer and then open any one of these suitcases. So I think there's a very strong presumption against giving the government generally available skeleton keys. And certainly we at The Economist have argued extremely forcefully, in fact, that the public benefit of having really strong encryption is greater than the disbenefit of law enforcement not being able to crack it. And it's very important to remember there are other things that law enforcement can do. So you can maintain the integrity of the cryptographic tunnel with law enforcement still being able to get in at either end if it needs to once it knows who the target is. So in a global context, in some ways, Apple is not only protecting the rights of American citizens, but for citizens elsewhere, because other countries are looking at what America is going to do and probably going to have to either apply the same rules or feel jilted that they don't get skeleton keys themselves. How do you think this is going to play out globally? Well, this was another of Apple's, I think, stronger arguments that if it was required to do this sort of thing by the FBI, then, you know, it would be much harder for it to say no to the Russians and the Chinese and, in fact, anyone else who wanted to do the same sort of thing. So I think Apple had some very strong arguments on its side in this case, and we can expect to see them trotted out next time either the FBI or indeed law enforcement in any other country tries the same sort of thing. And I think that Apple will be on very strong ground once it brings in end-to-end encryption on all, all the devices and say, it's no good asking me for the skeleton key. I don't have it. I cannot crack this encryption. Only the two people concerned can do it. And that would be a, a good argument, whichever government comes calling. Of course, what it doesn't help in terms of individual privacy is that we know that companies like Celebrite and no doubt scores of others around the world will say, OK, you want to get into this, we'll see if we can find a, a zero day or some a NAND exploit or some other clever way and that, that gets in regardless. Great. Well, listen, Edward, thank you very much. And Tom, thank you. That's all for Babbage. Remember, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on Facebook or tweet us at EconSciTech. On social media, last week, Babbage discussed how Alzheimer's does not destroy memories but harms the functions of retrieving them. In reaction to the episode, one Canadian tweeted us, quote, This would certainly explain surprise awakenings where a patient might regain temporarily some lost functions, end quote. And another tweet from the Joss Group read, if only we could do backups and restore, if you will, treating our minds like computers. And then when we lose our car keys, we could simply Google them. That's all for this week. You've been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, please visit Economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.